the guys that we work with from the prison, I have to say, are some of our most brilliant, loyal, dedicated employees that we have across the whole company. Um, we might have seen we aim to always have a, a minimum of 30% of people on the workforce coming out to us from a, a prison background or from an extending background. Well, welcome back to episode four of Wab Chat, a podcast from White and Black Limited. My name is Sam Ridgway. Thank you for tuning in. I'm really excited for you to hear today's interview. Joining me, we have Tess Taylor. Tess is co-founder at the Tap Social Movement, which is an Oxford-based craft brewery and hospitality social enterprise that provides training and employment opportunities to ex-offenders and also a number of low-category prisoners who are preparing for their release. Around 30% of the Tap Social workforce have lived the experience of the criminal justice system. And through its various different venues, TAP Social also provide welcoming, inclusive spaces for the whole community. TAP Social has been incredibly successful over the last few years, both in a business sense and with its wider social impact. And that's something Tess and I will come on to discuss a bit more later. But as well as expanding their brewery production hugely, opening several new venues, a new commercial bakery, TAP Social have to date provided 60,000 plus hours of paid employment to people from prison. They've employed more than 40 people directly from the criminal justice system into long-term roles with just a 6% re-offending rate of those in their program. And that's compared to the national average of 50%. So hugely successful. And this is something that Tess and her other co-founders are hugely passionate about, as you'll hear. Tess herself is a Bachelor of Commerce graduate from Toronto. And prior to founding the TAP Social Movement, her career spanned hospitality and craft beer management roles, both in the UK and in Canada. And Tess was also recently involved in the National Brewing Library 20th Anniversary Exhibition, which focused on the women of the brewing industry. As you'll hear, Tess does not do things in halves, and this is a brilliant conversation, and, and hopefully it will help frame your thinking on some of these areas, or perhaps introduce the idea of prisoner and ex-prisoner employment to you for the first time. But I started out by asking Tess just what it is that TAP Social Movement does, and how it came about. We set up in 2016, um, and I set up the business with my sister Amy and her partner Paul, um, and we were joined from the start by a really close friend, Matt, and our head brewer, Jason. Um, we basically set up because we'd all had some experience working in the criminal justice sector, and we'd all kind of seen the massive lack of support and opportunity for people coming out of the system. And we really wanted to do something that had a more daily impact on people's lives and to be able to see kind of the results of the work that we were doing. Um, I had previously worked as a nonprofit in Canada as a counselor for ex-offenders, and so I was helping people to get pardons and waivers for criminal records. My sister was a senior policy advisor with the Ministry of Justice, and she was looking a lot at prison reform and youth justice reform. And Paul was, or is, a criminal barrister. Um, and so we all kind of had these moments where we were working with people through the system, and um, we felt like we were kind of not having we weren't seeing always the results of the work that we were doing in particular for Paul and Amy, you know, policy can take years to enact change. And, and Paul as well felt like he was having um, impact at the trials, but then he would see the same faces coming back through the, the court doors. And we wanted to do something essentially that had a more um, 
tangible impact that we could really measure and that we could see the, the faces of the people that we were working with and how their lives were impacted by what we were doing. Um, and so we kind of had this idea ready for the social enterprise. We knew what we wanted to do with that. And the idea for the brewery came to us, I mean, to be honest, kind of over a pint. We, um, I just moved to London for the summer to visit my sister. Um, we're both Canadian and she had been here studying and, and then working. I came to visit, thought it would be fun to get a job, meet some people um, and decided to work in a craft beer bar. Um, so I ended up working there for about a year um, in a management role and they were really great about sending us on brewery tours and brew days and making sure we understood you know, the products that we were selling. And it got us really interested in the beer world and the whole atmosphere and the environment of it was just so fun, so inclusive, so welcoming. And it just felt like this really inviting industry with so much opportunity behind it as well. So we started doing a little bit of home brewing and some homebrew courses. And then we were planning the social enterprise all the time and we were thinking, you know, what's going to be the business side of it? We knew very much what we wanted to do with the impact side, but finding a proper vehicle for it. And um, yeah, we were sat in a tap room in London and we just looked around and we we're like, this is such an amazing place. And it's so, it's the exact kind of environment that people would be excited to come out to work. And there's so many different jobs under this one umbrella. So we took a little bit of a punt on it, to be honest. We, um, we all kind of packed up our jobs and lives in London and moved out to Oxford, um, and this is yeah about six and a half, seven years ago. We took the unit down at the Curtis Industrial Estate and set up a just a thousand liter brew kit. Um, got Jason involved to to brew some beer <laughs> with a little bit more experience than our home brewing days, <laughs> and um, and then we partnered with HMP Spring Hill, which is a decat open prison located just between Bicester and Aylesbury. So um, I'm not sure how much you know about the open prison system, but essentially they're kind of resettlement prisons where people who generally speaking have served longer sentences will go to an open prison for the last couple of years of their sentence. And it's about starting to, you know, reconnect um, with family. They have the opportunity to go out on work or volunteer um, day release programs, um, some home visits and, and basically just preparing people who have been in for a lengthy sentence to come back out and, um, without there being such a, a massive gap in in that support. Um, so we're quite lucky that we had Spring Hill fairly close by within driving range, um, which is part of the reason we chose Oxford. Um, and we partnered with them right from the beginning and set up um, about February 2017. We started properly brewing and got our first um, couple guys out from Spring Hill. Wow. Okay. Oh, so it's 2017. I, I that's a, that's a year later than um, I realized you started brewing. So that makes the the kind of growth even more impressive. Um, kind of. We had our first brew was um, November 2016, but oh, cool. we didn't really. It was um, it was good fun. It was quite frantic. It was um, to get things up and running for Christmas. But I would say we properly kind of opened and set up for yeah early 2017 is when we really got going. Okay, so just brilliant story, and and maybe we will come on to talk a bit more about the mission and and the vision behind things, um, in a bit. But obviously, starting twenty sixteen seventeen, you've since then experienced quite significant growth, actually. So I think over over fifty staff now across maybe five five or six um, 
different venues you've got a new brewery i think has just opened and that's that's expanded your capacity for brewing hugely you've got commercial bakery you've got all these distribution partners so massive growth in the last six or seven years and then when you when you and follow you guys on on social media when you look at your website when you go to your venues um it seems to me that although the the beer is is front and center the the vision and the mission for what you do in in um pushing the employment of prisoners and and prison leavers remains so central through, throughout your messaging throughout everything you're doing and you from from what I can tell, you didn't set out to be the biggest brewery in the world. That that growth has happened, but that was never the aim. The the aim was the vision that you'll come on to talk about. Um, of course, the the product is craft beer, and that's a significant part of the business. But it seems to me that that that's kind of the means by which you're going about achieving what what your mission is. And I was interested because one often sees. Um, smaller companies maybe social enterprises maybe businesses in other areas experience the kind of growth that you have but lose sight somewhat of of the vision for for why you're doing it and, and what you set out to do you from from what i can tell haven't lost sight of that and that has remained really central to what you're doing and i'm curious as to how you've achieved that because presumably the bigger you get the more people you can you can help the more um, employment you can give and so on. And yet the harder it must be to, to balance the two, to balance the business side with why you really set out to do it in the first place, if that makes sense. So so how did you do that and how do you continue to do that? Yeah, I think, you know, I mentioned in our, and how we set up in the first place that we had the social enterprise idea probably well before we had the business idea. And it's definitely what drives all of us and what we're most passionate about. So, you know, Amy, Paul and I, and Matt and Jason, who joined from the beginning, we've always felt very, very strongly about what we want to do with the prison system. We've all thought that there was, you know, a huge injustice in the social justice system. And so it's definitely been what motivates us through everything that we do and every business decision that we take, we take it with a view of how it's going to impact on the social mission and what we're doing. So, Managing them side by side, I think we almost find it easier to to propel forward in terms of anything that has a social impact because it's what has really, you know, driven us to set up in the first place. It's what we're all really, really passionate about. And I think it's probably fair to say, especially with founders and directors, that we're probably more passionate about social impact than we are about craft beer or hospitality. We obviously love them and they've been a huge part of what we do, but everything, every decision that we make is made on the basis of how it can further support people in the prison system and how we can have a, make a bigger difference to what we're trying to do. So I think it really does come from just a position of being really, really passionate about why we set up in the first place. Um, and then it's so important that we've surrounded ourselves with really, really good people. So every time that we're hiring, that's, you know, a, a major part of the interview process is, is this person joining us because they care about what we're doing with the social justice side and alongside supporting the business, are they really keen to help us with supporting people through the prison system as well? And I think, you know, creating and building this team that shares in the same social justice passion that we have has been really important. Um, But also the guys coming out to work with us have really shaped that. And I think that 
for, you know, somebody who's joined us from maybe just the community and not from the prison who works alongside the guys coming out from the prison. I think that's driven them as well. And that's, that's given them a real sense of purpose beyond, you know, perhaps managing the bar, but then also recognizing that they have this huge impact on the guys' lives and, and that they're really helping to, to change them as well. So I think people is the main important thing for us. Definitely. Um, we're very lucky. We've just got such brilliant people across the board from all walks of life and no matter where they joined us from that's definitely been the biggest part of it is surrounding ourselves with people who are equally passionate and who are equally driven to make it work and you know it does have to be at the end of the day a, a commercial entity it we're a social enterprise we're not set up as a charity so we do need to you know um, make money to survive and but surrounding ourselves with people who are creative and and focused on doing the same thing has been the key component for our growth really and has enabled us to grow in the way that we have probably a lot quicker than we've ever imagined um and um certainly not without its challenges <laughs> but um it, we've had a lot of support through through the team sure and, and the challenges maybe will um will come on to but that's that's um that's a really interesting point because I've, I've spoken to different people on on this podcast and people is something that's come up a lot and, and getting the right people under under your roof and perhaps um perhaps looking at the the interview parameters and, and saying actually are we are we bringing them on board because they're excellent in finance or are we bringing them on board because they, they have finance but they, they, they can fit into the organization and that seems to be what you guys prioritize in, in that process Definitely. And I think it is really, you know, we do need to strike a balance. We do need people mm. who have, you know, experience in whether it's accountancy or in management. And um, there is, as I said, it's, it's a commercial entity at the end of the day. And we have to make sure that, you know, if we're not succeeding as a business and if we're not um, covering our costs and, and hopefully making profit one day, <laughs> then, you know, we're not able to help anybody and the whole business function is to support people so we do have to make sure that we're making smart business decisions um and we actually we have an advisory board um built up of you know some really um incredible people who help us to make these decisions as well we have people who sit on it from from a prison background who have been through service users who have used um our employment in the past and who have now gone on to do other things we've got a judge from london we've got people who um are just you know, professionals and, and CEOs of fairly major firms. And they've been absolutely brilliant in kind of guiding us and making sure that, you know, the two sides of the business, because it is a complicated structure, definitely. And I'm sure that we could, you know, without having the whole social side of what we do, I'm sure it could grow in different ways, um, potentially more profitably, but making sure that the reason that we set up is always at the forefront and that we all always are driving that forward um, and so we, we definitely lean on, yeah, that advisory board and our, our team and people around us and the community as well. And the response that we get to what we do um, is definitely what, what motivates us. Mm. And this idea of, of people and recruiting the right people is quite an, a nice segue into what I wanted to ask you next, actually, because you look at um, recruitment more generally and, and vacancies in, in the labour market at the moment at record highs. And I was then doing some digging into statistics around employment of 
of both current prisoners and prison leavers. And I think um, it's something like six, 16% within six weeks of, of leaving prison, only 16% of people are in employment. And then that only actually rises to 23% after a year. Um, and I think you're, you sort of class a long-term unemployed if you're unemployed for a year or longer. So that leaves a quite a big gap at sort of 77%. Um, I think you guys are actually massively successful in your in your own recruitment program i think it's over you've got now even 90 percent um of of sort of non um, reoffending rates that's probably not the right terminology but i know there's there's a clear correlation with employment and recidivism rates and mm-hmm. and that is that's kind of a fact so in in terms of businesses more more generally attitudes do slowly seem to be changing in in the recruitment of either existing or, or, or prison leavers, existing prisoners or prison leavers. You've got campaigns like Ban the Box, which um, you might be able to, to talk to in a moment. But what would be your advice, if you're, if you're like, your, your tips for, for business leaders and owners, some of whom might be listening to this, um, thinking about maybe just exploring this as an option maybe maybe they're just beginning to look at it maybe they're actively looking at employing um prisoners or ex, ex-prisoners or getting involved in in schemes that they can do that um what, what would be your advice in that context yeah i think i mean to start with the guys that we work with from the prison i have to say are some of our most brilliant loyal dedicated employees that we have across the whole company. Um, we might have seen, we aim to always have a, a minimum of 30% of people on the workforce coming out to us from a, a prison background or from an extending background. Um, and we just find that the guys are, you know, really grateful for the opportunity to be there. They're um, excited about the potential to do something that's maybe a little bit different than some of the other opportunities that are given when you're on day release in prison. Um, which is, you know, why we chose this industry as well is that it's so, um, it's really exciting and fun and and there's so many opportunities within it. Um, And we really do see that in exchange for that, we have such incredibly loyal employees and people are so brilliant with us. They're so passionate about working hard for us and and making sure that the business is a success and um, really seeing it, you know, taking ownership as well for their section of the business, whatever that may be. So I think for generally anyone listening um, that might be looking at into hiring people through the prison, first off, you know, finding more resources about it, which I'll come on to in a second, and realizing that there is the potential to actually get people out while they're still serving, not just on release. That's um, a really important starting point. But just recognizing that it's this incredible, massive pool of people who are just desperate for an opportunity and for a second chance, and recognizing that, you know, you can turn it the other way around and look at it. This doesn't reflect on my views, but if you think what's the alternative, you know, if you don't hire someone from the prison system, you are essentially contributing to the reoffending rate because people that don't have employment and don't have that stability are much, much more likely to reoffend, as you said. So you can flip it on, even if somebody isn't doing it because they genuinely believe in the cause or because they're empathetic to to the situation, um, they can perhaps be twisted around by the fact that it's costing more in taxpayer dollars. It's making our streets potentially less safe by having more people on the streets and out of work. Um, and so there are just so many reasons, no matter which angle you come at it from, that it makes so much sense to employ somebody from the, the prison system. Um, 
but there are also a lot more resources available now. So there's something called employment advisory boards that have been or are being set up currently across um, resettlement prisons in the UK. So there's already, I believe 50 are already in place and the plan is to have them across all resettlement prisons. There are about 90 in the UK um, by the end of this year. And it's essentially about connecting um, you know, the CEOs and bosses of larger businesses with people who sit on this board within the prison and then can support employers into, you know, how you actually hire someone who's out on day release and um, provide a little bit more resource and support there for people who maybe just don't have any experience with it. Um, so my co-founders, Amy and Paul, they each sit on the employment boards, um, one at Bullingdon and the other at Spring Hill. Um, and they, you know, the, the concept behind them is really brilliant. James Timpson from the Timpson Foundation, who mm -hmm. you probably know is a huge um, advocate for this kind of work. He um, He's one of the kind of leading forces for the EABs. And it's a really good resource for anybody who doesn't know where to get started, but is interested in working with people. So I definitely recommend um, getting in touch with your local EAB or with TAP and Amy and Paul and myself. We can certainly provide some resource there and some support in doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, in terms of just general recruitment and what you're talking about with the Ben the Box campaign, I do think that it's so important that we kind of shift our views on it. Um, as you mentioned, we're in a, a huge unemployment crisis at the moment across the UK. The, the result of COVID and Brexit as well have meant that, in particular, the hospitality industry has just been kind of decimated. With we, We're really struggling for people. Um, and what we've found across all sectors of our business is that you know, you don't necessarily need to come into them with a huge amount of training or a huge amount of experience or with um, a specific degree or background. All of them are positions or roles that you can come into with little experience, but then really just learn on the job and work your way up. So hospitality, baking, as you mentioned, we've got a baker now and brewing. Um, well, we do have a lot of people who come from, you know, university backgrounds in those roles you can actually start from nothing and really learn from everybody else on the team and around you. And so I think it's important for people to recognize in particular with those individuals who are coming out of prison and might not have that experience. The most important thing is providing that foundation for confidence and all the other things can really be learned and, um, and, and we can teach people those other skills. So I think it's just really about giving people a chance and recognizing this massive pool of potential people who just want to work and are eager mm. and dedicated employees and just haven't had that opportunity yet. Mm. Yeah, and, and and people want to work. And I think there's maybe a a misconception around the idea that um you know it's a it's a massive risk and it's it's for businesses to take on someone is is a huge risk and you know uh you know what are we kind of letting ourselves in for who knows what could happen but it's, that's not really the case is it and you mentioned resettlement prisons and um category d prisons could you could you explain a bit more about that because um i, I maybe i'm just being ignorant to that but i there's maybe a, also an idea that all prisons are max security and and you know how could you possibly have somebody come out unsupervised for the day and so maybe you could talk a bit more about that yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's definitely not you being ignorant. Like, I'll fully admit that prior to working um, in TAP and setting it up, I didn't know much about it either. Cause 
that's the whole thing is that the average person, you just don't really have a reason to engage with any of this unless you either know somebody who's in prison or you have a family member who's been affected by it um, or unless somebody, you know, brings it up and starts that conversation, which is a huge thing that TAP is about, is just literally introducing this as a concept and, and the advocacy behind um, the fact that it is possible. But basically, BCAT Open Prisons, um, the focus there is about getting people ready for release, essentially. So they're considered um, they're the lowest security. So it's not like your standard prison that you imagine or that you see on TV. You go up, there's no massive gate around it. In theory, you could walk off the prison. You could just walk out and, and leave. Um, right. There's very little by way of, you know, actual physical security in place. Um, but people who are, um, you know, sent to spend the rest of their sentence in a DCAP prison, they have, they've been risk assessed, you know, it's at the parole board has done a job or um, the prison system. There's, there's systems in place to ensure that these people are, low risk and they're ready for this kind of responsibility. Um, and so as an outsider, it doesn't feel like our position to judge that, you know, they've been sent there and we need to trust that they're there for the right reason. And that's great that they have been trusted with that responsibility. And so basically once they're there, they can apply for jobs um, with willing employers like TAP and others. Um, they can apply for visits to go home and spend the weekend with family or um, exploring their area. And um, it's all about just, kind of reintroducing some of the, the normal parts of daily life that have been forgotten and that have been, you know, so far removed from people's lives while they've been serving sentences. And there's so many little things that strike me. I remember one of our guys in the first year coming out to work with us and he ran down to the shop to get some lunch and he came back and he was like, oh my God, I had to pay for a plastic bag. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's like Tempino. And he was like, absolutely mind blown. And it's something so minor to us that it's just like, obviously it's just happened. But he was absolutely shocked and he just couldn't believe that this had happened. And he'd only, you know, he'd been in for five or six years and all this had changed. And these little things that are just so normal, we don't even think about them, are such massive things. And if you think of something as minor as paying for a plastic bag <laughs> as being mm -hmm. such a shock, and imagine all the other things that have changed while you've been in and all, you know, you've lost so many family ties and you've lost your employment and in many cases, your housing and um, all of those kind of connections and all that stability that you might have in life. They're all just completely uprooted when you're sent into prison. And there's just so little consideration of what happens afterward and what kind of support people actually need. So open prisons are kind of, in our opinion, you know, one of the best possible solutions to that. Um, maybe a conversation for another day we would advocate for much <laughs> lower use of prison sentences in the first place and the incarceration rate is just crazy high and it just doesn't make sense to us for very many reasons but if people are going to be in prison at least using the open prison as a way to get people ready to come back out it just makes so much sense um and and there are you know success rates of them and then the success rates of day release programs which are called release on temporary license um they're really, really successful. It's like 99.9% .9 of them are completed successfully where people um, go on to, yeah, to do well and, and there's no issue while they're out. So we definitely advocate for, for more of these kind of open prison systems and also, um, yeah, more employers getting involved in hiring people while they're still serving and starting to rebuild those, you know, really fundamental parts of somebody's lives that otherwise 
it's a real, you know, cliff edge point when you come out of prison and you have to start all of that from scratch, particularly with a longer sentence having been served. It, it must be like incredibly challenging. Um, Hugely. So yeah, it's time there's, to uh, that gap a bit. There's so many um, avenues I could go down there, Tess, and I think, like you say, there's probably like a few conversations for quite a few yeah. different days. But it, you know, from from a from a business point of view, and things like um, ESG and social responsibility are just becoming more and more important for businesses more generally. And this just strikes me as an area that, um, you know, maybe it still hasn't got the attention it deserves, but is a real um, a real opportunity for for businesses to get plugged in locally to their com- communities and, and really make a difference that is lasting and, and not not have a maybe a tick box exercise that, that sometimes you have mm-hmm. and, and really begin to to make inroads because um, as you say it's, it's a different conversation but so, so often it can be um, a mistake or or you know upbringing and environment and so many different factors as to why people go in, into prison that um it's such a complex area but um yeah such such an important thing for businesses to to consider i I wonder if conscious of time but but moving forward and and moving back maybe towards um tap social and and, and the business and what you guys have done um growing the business are there are there challenges that you've had to overcome since 2016 or, or or even in recent years i mean obviously the covid pandemic was a huge one for for the hospitality industry and mm-hmm. perhaps perhaps hit hardest arguably as a sector but are there was that a big one are there things that you've had to battle with since day one that have constantly taken time to overcome yeah definitely i mean yeah the last few years certainly covid and the whole kind of economic situation that the uk is in at the moment um has has been really really tough and um and obviously people's spending patterns have massively changed and and even just the way people go out has changed since covid we've seen a huge difference in the number of people that come to the venues even you know whatever a year or two on (laughs) um from when everything kind of really was in the, the height of covid um things have definitely changed and that's been a constant challenge um and what we've really found we've had to do is just pivot the business constantly and really diversify and look for so many, you know, reinventing ourselves to bring in different revenue streams. So you mentioned the bakery that was kind of spun off from COVID. Um, We set up a little horse box outside the pub that we were um, renovating during COVID and started selling donuts that we were making in the kitchen of the pub. And they kind of took off for us pretty quickly. And so it got us thinking about actually baking is this amazing industry as well it's very therapeutic it's a really nice environment um there's a lot of skills that can be learned but you can come in with a little experience as well and work through it the same as brewing and hospitality um anyways one thing led to another and we now have a fairly large commercial bakery um that <laughs> reopens uh kind of end of august um which has been really exciting and it's again allowed us to employ more people from the prison system and it's a really just a really nice place to come out to work and to learn new skills and to meet people and have you know a lot of daily kind of interaction and conversation with members of the public it's a big open plan space with a coffee shop in the front um so i think pivoting definitely and finding ways to um ways to change the business quickly <laughs> when trouble comes up and um we obviously 
with so many of the kind of lockdowns, the restrictions would change so quickly and there'd be kind of a lack of clarity on what you were actually allowed to do as a business and even as an individual going out to places. So making sure that we were kind of ready to jump at different opportunities at every stage that we had, um, you know, started canning our beer um, to enable us to do home delivery more effectively and um, more environmentally friendly, but also um, more efficiently financially um, and various little things like that, that we've had to kind of implement at short notice. And I think that's again, just kind of testament to the amazing people on the team, because we have such a range of people who all have such different backgrounds and different skill sets that that's enabled us to come together and, and to have so many different ideas from all over, um, which has been really helpful. But I think in terms of just more um, constant problems since we set up, um, I think like any small business really, um, there's just, we've had a lot of growth quite quickly and um, there's things that come with that. I mean, there's a lot of pressure that we feel and you mentioned at the beginning, our team is now just under 60 people. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to to make sure that we are sustainable and um, and that the business is doing as well as it possibly can to provide employment for everybody and to ensure that we're you know um, we're a, a good employer to everybody that we work with, but also that we're doing things effectively enough to have the social impact that we're trying to have. So there are so many just kind of logistics challenges with that and and um, and a lot to think about on a daily basis, really, of how we can ensure that we're doing the best thing for the business and for the people that we work with and still pushing that social mission forward. Um, and then just the usual challenges that any business would face, you know, cash flow and particularly over the last couple of years when things have been so difficult and, and how we manage that and how we um, enable growth when things are tight. Um and, you know, there's certainly no kind of easy answer to any of that. But again, it's um, we've been really fortunate to have a really great community of people around us. Oxford in general has been such a brilliant place to set up. Um, people here have been so, so supportive by visiting the venues and buying our beer and bakery and just shouting about what we do, for one thing. Um, but there's also so many other social enterprises and charities and like-minded people in the city that we have so many great connections with and that have enabled us to, you know, um, find support that we didn't even know existed previously. So um, I think, you know, your last guest again, P Patricia, she said something mm. around um, galvanizing support from the community and that people want to feel like they're part of something. And that really resonated with me that it's absolutely right. We feel like we've got this real community here in Oxford and we're so grateful for everybody who um, he does, you know, support us in so many different ways. So I think that's always been um kind of the forefront of what we do is surrounding ourselves with good people and and passing that as well on to the guys that we work with and ensuring that they're surrounded by good people mm. yeah and, and that's um so evident for people who who have seen you and know of you i think that's that's really comes across um it's so in terms of moving forward you you've obviously balanced those challenges and you've you guys have been amazingly successful and can continue to grow what what are the plans what what can we expect i think um you were maybe even looking to to expand the marketing um more well out, outside of oxford um i know there's there's a goal to do that there's a, a sort of goal to increase profits maybe you could talk a bit more about that yeah um 
yeah, definitely. Uh, we've just um, we've grown our sales team a little bit. We've just got a brilliant sales manager involved who has loads of experience, um, and we're hoping can help kind of drive that side of the business um, forward. And you know, we're working with a little bit more with distributors who are taking our beer further afield and um, right across the UK, which is really exciting. So we've certainly got a lot of potential with the brewery itself. We've got, um, you mentioned that we expanded uh, last year and the brewery capacity um, has trebled. So we have okay. room to grow definitely within the brewery. Um, and that's always really exciting. I think for us, well, we're planning to open a bar in the covered market um, quite soon. So our license has been approved and our planning, which is really exciting. Um, Amazing. So hopefully by Easter weekend, we'll be opening is the, the goal. That soon. Um, okay. I didn't know it'd be that soon. Wow. Quite soon. <laughs> so okay. very exciting. Um, and yeah, really excited to work with the other vendors in there and hopefully create a little bit of a kind of nightlife destination um, to go and have some nice food and drink. Um, there's mm-hmm. some awesome vendors in there already. So really looking forward to that um and then hopefully we're gonna try to um refine all the venues that we've got from that point and focus a little bit on just making sure that they're all running as effectively and as well as they could be um and really ensuring that you know the quality of everything that we're doing then is where we want it to be um across the venues across brewing baking everything um and i think for us our kind of long-term what we would love to see and what we really envisaged when we set up is more partnerships with more um, employers and organizations that are keen to work with people through the system. So supporting others into um, how they can actually work with the prison and people on day release or people post release um, and having more partners across the UK would be amazing that we can send people to work at um, not everyone that's at Spring Hill. In fact, most people that are at Spring Hill are not actually from this area because open prisons are so few and far between. The catchment area is just massive um, mm. for Spring Hill. So a lot of the guys, when they get out, they're going back to London or Kent or Surrey, various places. So finding partners all over the UK that um, you know we can employ someone while they're currently serving and and offer all that training and get people really ready and then send them on to other um, employers would be amazing and a really good way to kind of scale impact for sure um, and the employment advisory boards are a really good way to to bring that forward as well um, and so using those more and and shouting about those and getting people aware is definitely part of the plan um, and then just the wow. advocacy piece and, and making sure people are aware of what you can do and and how important it is and what a difference it can make looking at some of those statistics that you mentioned around um, employment and recidivism. Um, just shouting about that a little bit more and, and bringing awareness to it. Mm-hmm. So um, just a bit busy then, not not too much to get you <laughs> to. A little bit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a bit bored, but. Amazing. Tessa, <laughs> it's, it's been um, brilliant to talk to you and that's so exciting to hear about everything that that is coming up i know that people people who are local um to oxford listening to this will will already know about you i've I've no doubt um but i would massively encourage anyone who hasn't already to to go to one of your venues to visit um proof bakery which i think is in kennington Um, i'm right with that yeah yeah Yeah. um or or the brewery down in botley and and to go and check out what you guys do because it is amazing and there is so so much happening um down there but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us i really appreciate it tess and it was was a brilliant insight
It's been really brilliant. Thank you so much. And thanks for um, shouting about everybody on your podcast. It's really awesome. Really appreciate it. 